All right, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. Man, you guys are looking good today. Look at you with your smiley faces and everything. Oh, congratulations. Thanks for coming out. I love the fact that you're here, but it really works well when you love the fact that you're here. You see what I'm saying? So like when we're both on the same page that way, it works out really well. So how many guys are loving the fact that you're at New Life today? Come on. I love the fact you're here. So I love that you're here at the Carney campus and all of those worshiping with us at our North Platte campus. I want to say a big hello to you as well. Um, and those that are worshiping with us online today. So we're one church, multiple locations. God's doing some great things. If God's doing something in your life that's stretching you, if God's doing something in your life that's taking you on a journey that's more radical than you ever thought, just know this, you're part of the norm here. Uh, I'm getting testimonies and stories from people all the time about what God's doing in their life, and it's radical. So if you sense God stirring you, man, just to like, you know, be bold with your faith or just to love him more than you ever have or to know him, if you've got a hunger to know God more than you ever have before, I just want you to know it's normal here at New Life. If, if you're new here and you cry, right, almost all the way through the service, it's actually normal I'm not talking about like out, outward bawling kind of thing. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about if you are emotionally moved to tears while worship is happening or while we're preaching, um, it, it, I hear stories from people all the time that they're just like, that's my experience here at New Life. I don't know what it was. I'm going to tell you what it is. All of, of what I've been talking about is it boils down to one thing. <clears throat> here at New Life, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit we believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well on planet Earth today and that God's Spirit is drawing people to himself. We believe that the Holy Spirit empowers people to accomplish more than they ever could alone. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit loving you to himself. And so if you are moved emotionally in a service like this, I want you to know that's normal. And if you're sensing a hunger like God's pulling you to himself, I want you to know that that's normal. Okay. Now with that brings me to this word right here. If you think that all of that is going to be comfortable, then you're mistaken, right? Because the journey with Christ is going to be uncomfortable before it ever brings joy. It's going to have challenges before it ever brings joy. And so last week we kind of talked a little bit about that, right? Like in, in Christianity, uh, one of the things that God created his church, he created his church to accomplish his mission and his purpose, not to fulfill your preferences, and so I know that we took a survey last week and, you know, a bunch of people raised their hand and voted on a bunch of different things. And we discovered that none of us in this room are all on the same page when it comes to our dream church. So we're asking one another to give up the dream church idea of exactly what the perfect church would look like and just embrace the church that God gave you. And in this continued journey of uncomfortable today, I want to talk to you about a cross, an uncomfortable cross. It's at the center of our Christianity. But with it, when we embrace the uncomfortableness of the cross, <clears throat> then we set ourselves up to receive some amazing rewards and some incredible joy. But there's a lot of things in life that are just like that. There's a lot of things in life that you have to go through and embrace the uncomfortable to get the reward. Let's talk for a minute about a, a college degree. You have to embrace sleepless nights, long semesters, Right? And that finals week. Um, 
Oh, man, right? You have to embrace all of that to end up with the degree. And hopefully, you that have done that feel like it was worth it still, okay? I hope, though. I hope so. You have to embrace selflessness if you want to have a healthy marriage. You have to embrace that we're going to compromise. It's not all about me if I want to have this healthy marriage, right? Here's some other ones. You have to embrace long and hard workouts if you want to be a premier athlete, right? If you want to get to the top of the top of the food chain when it comes to any sport, you're going to have to go through some serious long and hard workouts consistently to ever get to that kind of reward. You have to embrace amazing risk, by the way, if you ever want to be an entrepreneur. There's a lot of people that want to start their own business. There's a lot of people that talk, I wish I was my own boss. Most of that talk is all rebellious because they're not willing to take the actual risk, all right, that it's going to take to get there. Uh, But there's this incredible risk to reap the reward of being an entrepreneur. Now, if you haven't gone through Financial Peace University, there's a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey who leads this course, Financial Peace University. We host it here at the Kearney campus as well as the North Platte campus. You can sign up today to be a part of Financial Peace University. It's gonna help you have a biblical mindset on your finances. So many people have gotten out of tremendous amount of debt. They've restructured, they've learned to budget. They just learned how to maximize what God's given you, your money, in a way that just honors you and it honors God. Well, Dave Ramsey would say this, with your money, right? That you have to embrace a sacrifice. You have to embrace this uncomfortable living now Okay, so that means he would say it this way. You have to live like no one else now so that one day you can live like no one else. Now, I remember I went through financial peace. When, I, when he first said that, I had to kind of like stop for a minute and really focus. You got to live like no one else now. You got to embrace the uncomfortable now if you want to have the resources to live like no one else in the future. You get what I'm saying? So there's this sacrifice, there's this embracing the uncomfortable so that you can get the reward. And it's the same thing with Christianity. To be a Christian, all right, we're called to embrace the uncomfortableness of the cross and the sacrifice of the cross to be a follower of Jesus. You have to embrace that. Why, though? Here's the reason. Because at the center of Christianity The center of the Christian faith is the cross. It's the cross. It's the center of it. It's like maybe the small town you grew up in. I'm thinking of a small town near Kearney, uh, Minden. Uh, Our staff went there a couple years ago for a Christmas party. And out in the the square of of this town is the courthouse. And you see this same model all over America, right? Small town, the the courtyard, there's like... um, you know, the, the city center is there, uh, the courthouse is there, government is there, businesses are all around it. And back when, you know, there was just a few people living around there, everything, it was like the epicenter. It was where life happens, where everything took place. And in the same way, the cross is at the center of Christianity. It's where we all come, we rally. It's where we come, we, we understand Christianity. But what's happened over time is that the cross has become a soft target. It's become something really soft and smushy and it doesn't really hold its same integrity and its intensity as it once had. We wear it on, we wear it on shirts. We wear it on hats. We got it tattooed on our body. We have it on necklaces. We even have it on our coffee mugs, right? 
And over the decades, what's happened is that we've lost the intensity and we've lost the essence of what the cross really is. Because when you come back to what the cross really is, it is a very uncomfortable place of Christianity that causes us, though, to become the people God wants us to be. Because, see, at the center of Christianity, the cross is an execution device. That's really what it is. At the center of Christianity is this execution device. The cross is not some tamed symbol of our faith that's harmless. It's not tamed. It's wild. It's out of control. The cross is a, is a killing machine used by the Romans and other empires to inflict serious control over the people. To humiliate those who hung on them. At times they would hang hundreds and hundreds of people on crosses all at the same time, lining roads so that the people would have to see the brutality of the force in which they're facing just so they would back down and they would follow those who are in leadership. And guys, I'm just afraid that in Christianity today in 2019, we've lost the barbarity and the terror that is the cross. But the first century Christians, they had a whole different understanding of the cross. See, the first century Christians, those who actually walked the same cobblestone streets that Jesus walked, they understood that the cross became like this uncomfortable doorway between them living for themselves and being a true follower of Jesus. See, because the first century person would have known the impact of the cross. They would have known how it changed culture at the time. They would have known how it, uh, how it put people into a state of fear. They would have heard the sounds of the cross, smelt it, right? They would have seen the brutality of it with their own eyes. See, the cross isn't what you have today on your shirt. So back in the day, let's say back to Jerusalem, first century, right? So outside of the city, the hill of Golgotha, uh, where Jesus was crucified, there was most likely a pillar that came out of the ground and it was high in the air. And it just was anchored in the ground. And it was there all the time. And at certain points when you walk through the city, you would be able to look up and you would have seen this pillar of wood standing there. And everybody in the city would have known what that was. It wasn't a, a tree that died that they just shaved the branches off, off of. It was the Romans who strategically planted this pillar, buried it into the ground, stabilized it with rock, right? And made sure that it was, it was anchored correctly because human beings were going to hang on it. And then when you were accused of a crime, you were beaten, flogged. Many times skin was ripped and tore right off of your own flesh, right? And blood's coming out of your, your body, um, you know, from your arms and your shoulders and your neck and your face and your back and your legs and, you know, from the skin being ripped off. And then you got this cross member that your arms would be tied to and then you would be forced through the city in a mockery march from wherever the court place was, was at up to the hill of Golgotha. And as you walk through, blood's pouring down you know, from your body and it's getting on your feet and it's making this slippery surface because it's really slick. The, the stones over there and the walkways, man, are just slick. And you would just like, you would slide as you're trying to carry this. You would slip and you would fall and you couldn't get your arms free from it so you'd fall flat onto your face over and over again as you're trying to make your way up there, passing out at times only for the Romans to lift you back up and march you still to the hill where they would lay you down and then they would nail you to that board. 
When they nailed you to that board, the nails went through your wrists, and it would, it would nick arteries, and it would hit through nerves, and, you know, then you're anchored to it, and then they hoist this rope up, and they would take it through the upper part of the pole, and then they would just rank you up into the air, which would, all of your body would be hanging now from these two nails and the ropes that are holding you to this cross member, where shoulders would many times dislocate, pop, pop. And then as you were hanging there, they would lift your feet up many times and just like as, the, as the, the post went down your back, they would bend your foot back and then stick large nails through your heel or through your ankle and they would anchor you now to this piece of wood. And then they would continue to mock you. And they would let you hang as a sight over the city for everyone to see that you don't disobey us because if you disobey us, this is the punishment that comes your way. And while they're bleeding up there and they're trying to, you know, survive as long as they can, many of them would make it for maybe a few hours, some maybe even into days, but not few made it into days because the Roman soldiers, they couldn't leave that hill that day until you were dead and they had, and they had you know, piled your body with the other bodies into a pit that would be near the hill of Golgotha. So they don't want to miss dinner with their family. So they're going to make sure that this thing happens more quickly than maybe you want it to happen. But while you're up there, you don't die because nails are through your wrists and nails are through your feet. No, you die because you can't breathe. And the way you can't breathe is that your body, this, it hangs down and it crunches on itself and rib cages crunch together and you can't, you can't exhale, you know, you can't exhale and you can't inhale the right amount of oxygen and, you know, organs start to shut down and the heart starts pounding harder and harder and some would have died, you know, just because the heart physically gave out or exploded in a moment of, you know, intense pressure where the psychology of the whole thing, your mind's trying to tell you to stay, stay alive, but your body is shutting down and you can't keep up with it. And so your body shrinks down until you can't breathe. And then you got to pull yourself up and you pull yourself up. The nail that goes through your wrist that is nicking on those nerves is this, oh, and it's sending shockwaves through your body. And you're trying to push up with nails through your feet so you can get a breath. Only to, only to hang back down again until finally the Roman soldiers have had enough and they just take a large hammer and they, they just beat you in your legs until your fibula, your tibia breaks on both of your legs so that you have no force down in the lower part of your body to ever push yourself up to get a breath. See, first century people, they knew what the cross was all about. There was nothing inside of them that even wanted to get close to it. They knew the brutality of it. They knew the pain of it. They had heard the screams from the cross. They had, they had seen it. They had, they had watched those suffer to try to get a breath. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of that picture, taking yourself back to a first century Christian, I want you to listen to what Jesus said to all of his followers. <clears throat> Mark 8, calling the crowd to join his disciples. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. First century Christian knew exactly what that meant. For you and me, we could never forget what really happened on the cross that day. When Jesus gave his life in that brutal way, in that execution that was meant for the guilty, Jesus was the innocent. When he gave his life on that cross that day and he breathed his last breath and he said out loud for all to hear, it is finished. 
Guys, we can never forget that because the cross is this uncomfortable center of our faith. If you forget, if you forget what the cross is all about, you're gonna miss out on what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Jesus never promised that when you said you would follow him that all of your life was just from that moment on gonna be a cakewalk and everything was gonna be easy. That's not what he promised. Although that's what a lot of Christians have up here in their head. We have in our minds that by following Jesus, my life's gonna turn around, my dog's gonna come back, my truck's gonna start again. It's like a country song, like in reverse. <clears throat> that's not what he promised. He did promise our sins will be forgiven. He did promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. He did promise that we will have a home with him for eternity with heaven where things will be perfect. But he never promised an easy life on this earth. In fact, just to the contrary, he promised an uncomfortable life where you and me are going to face trials and we're going to face things like persecution. Listen to what he said. He said, do you remember what I told you? <laughs> a slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. Jesus said this well before he ever went to the cross, by the way. Well before. And his disciples were like, persecution's one thing, but execution's a different thing. And that's what Jesus ended up. He ended up being executed on a cross. So if you've made Jesus the Lord and the leader of your life, this is what I want to challenge you to do with me. Embrace the uncomfortableness of the cross. Just embrace it. Embrace it in a sense that thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, but embrace it knowing that you and me have one to carry ourselves. But if we, if we, if we embrace the cross, then you're going to find a closeness with God that you've never had before, and you're going to find the joy with Christ that you're looking for because the joy always comes after the challenge of the uncomfortable. You have to walk through the uncomfortable. You have to embrace the cross to ever discover the joy of what it means to follow Jesus. The peace of what it means to follow Jesus. The contentment of what it means to follow Jesus. The strength to face no matter what comes your way. It always follows embracing the uncomfortable. That's when you find all of those solutions. So the cross is at the center, and it's an execution device. But I want, I want to look at Romans uh, chapter 8 again that we looked at just a minute ago. Because I want you to listen to what it says basically says this, that following Jesus demands that we turn from our selfish ways and that we pick up our cross now. So it's not just about his cross, it's also about our cross. I think many times we think this, like pick up a cross in light of what you just said, Jeff, then does that mean that Jesus is saying to pick up your cross and follow me? I have to be a martyr for him? Well, in 2019 in America, you know, we're, in this country at least, we're not, we're not killing Christians yet. Okay, so no, it's probably not going to mean that you're going to be a physical martyr living here in America. Although we do have brothers and sisters who are becoming martyrs for Christ all around the world in different countries, and some of them are going to give up their life even today. But it's probably going to mean more like this for you and me here in America in 2019, which makes it more difficult Picking up the cross is more about some practical application that's going to affect your personal life in a serious way. Let me give you some examples. Here's what it might mean for you to pick up your cross. To give up your freedom and to give up your desires. To follow, to follow the desires of Jesus. See, if Jesus is your leader, then that means that you have to follow in his footsteps. You don't get, if, if you've got a leader, you have to follow what the leader says. I think all too often we want Jesus to be our leader, but then we want him to follow what we want. 
No, who's going to be the leader, right? If Jesus is the leader, we have to follow him. So to, to pick up your cross would mean I'm going to surrender my ability to be the leader to let you be the leader. So I'm going to give up my freedom. I'm going to give up my desires to follow you. Here's another maybe picture of what it looks like for you and me to pick up our cross and to follow him. It would be to give up your dream occupation. For what, though? To follow the call of ministry that's on some of your lives. Some of you have been called the full-time ministry, and you know it, but you, but you haven't pursued it. You were too fearful of it, or someone else in your, your, your mom or your dad loved you, but they, they shot the idea down. You had someone else tell you that, look, you can't make a living like that. You go get a real job, and then you can serve the Lord. But the whole time, you've been unhappy in what you're doing. And what I'm saying to you is this, that God, if God called you to ministry, then you can't escape that, no matter how long you live on this earth. And if he called you to ministry, you need to self-identify. Come up to one of our pastors. Let us know. Let us talk to you about that. Let, help us, let us work with you to figure out, you know, what does that look like that God called you into ministry? How can we help you get from where you are to where you need to go? But that could be part of you giving up your cross. And I'm only talking to a small group of people. I got it, but that's a great example. Here's another example that's going to impact all of us. To pick up your cross and to deny yourself could look like this today. Giving up your consumerism mindset. Giving up the mindset of what can I continue to gain on this earth versus what can I accomplish on this earth for the king. Two radically different things. Not saying that you have to pick a life of poverty by any means. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, you know, you, you can't own nice things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, look, which one are you going after? The so-called American dream or God's dream? Because you can't go after both of them at the same time. And Jesus is going to ask us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross. Here's some more ideas of what it looks like to deny ourselves and pick up our cross. Maybe giving up pride, giving up power, giving up the pursuit of wealth. Maybe it is just giving up comfort. But I know this one thing about picking up your cross. Picking up your cross is not an option for the person who wants to say, I'm following Jesus. It's not an option. Let's go back to Mark, Mark chapter 8. Remember what Jesus said. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must, you what? You must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. Oh, I just want you to notice something. Jesus didn't say, you may have to when I call on it. Like, it's some favor. Like, I died on the cross for you. You may have to, ca I, might, I might cash in a favor. You may have to. That's not what he said. He didn't say you may have to. He goes, you must there's this demand that's put on it. All of us sitting here listening to my voice today, all of us have something that God's knocking on our heart's door and he's asking us to deny, and all of us have a cross that we have to identify and pick up and run with. All of us. Let me give you an example. There's two brothers that you probably have never heard of before, Alan and Eric Barnhart. These two, these two brothers are radical. These guys had a dream back in 1986 to start a business. They wanted to start a, a rigging and a crane business. You know, I mean, moving big things, right? And uh, a lot of big manly kind of equipment. So in 1986, they decided, let's start this business. But when they decided to start the business, they made a key decision right at the very beginning in drawing up the business plan. They said, look, we're, we're both going to just take medium you know, uh, incomes. We're going to live in middle class. 
And so they, they, at the church they were at, they kind of found out, what does middle class income look like on average at their church? And then they set their middle class salary based on it. And then they started their business. And they said this, anything that's left over, we're going to give away to build God's kingdom. We're going to invest it into missions organizations and charities and all those kind of things. So year one, they gave $50,000 away. They were so excited that they started this business, right? As the business has gone on, they kept giving more and more millions and millions of dollars away until they finally said, what if we just gave the whole business away? But yet we, kept, we ran it. What if we surrendered the whole business to build God's kingdom? So in 2007, they surrendered their business to an organization to better people and to reach more people for Jesus Christ. But they keep running the business. And in 2014, they, they reported that at that moment they had given over $100 million now to build God's kingdom and to other charities just to help other people. They're not even the business owners of their own business, all because they started out and they still live to this day with middle class incomes. All they've done is given themselves raises throughout the years, but they still live as middle class people, and that's how they lived because they had, a, they had a passion in their heart and they heard the voice of God's spirit saying, live selfless, right? Deny yourself, pick up my cross and follow me. And they've got a thriving business worth over $250 million. Now that's a crazy story about two brothers that you're never going to hear about. When I read that story this week, I was like, that's the example of what it looks like to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross. And I'm thankful for people like that that have radical visions of how can God, how can you, what, it's not about what I can continue to gain in this world, right? It's what can I do to benefit your kingdom? Now that was their cross. What's yours though? See, the first century followers of Jesus, they knew what it meant when Jesus said, you gotta deny yourself and pick up your cross. They knew just like Eric and Alan, they knew that, I mean, it, it was gonna be an uncomfortable life. It was going to be a life that may, may even bring them to martyrdom. Uh, it's going to be a life where there was no turning back, where I was just like all in. The first century followers of Jesus, they didn't wear, they didn't wear shirts with crosses on it, guys. That's not what they wore. They lived it. One sacrifice at a time. They, they embraced the uncomfortable as their new normal. So for you and me, I think the big question right now today is this. What is the cross that you have to pick up to follow Jesus? What is the cross? And the cross that you picked up when you were a teenager might be different than the cross that you carry in your 30s. It might be different than the cross that you carry in your 60s or in your 80s. What is the cross? I mean, we kind of constantly need to be asking, Lord, what's the cross you want me to pick up? And then secondly, what selfish thing is God asking for you and me you know, to, to turn from. What, what thing is God going, give this part of your life to me. Give this dream to me. Give this, selfless, this selfish peace, give it to me. And let me, let me lead in your life in that area. Those are two radical questions. And I hesitate to even try to go into examples of it today because I believe one thing's happening right now. I believe that the Holy Spirit that we talked about at the beginning of this service is speaking to many of you right now if you're willing to listen. He will self-identify what those areas are in your life because they're going to be radically different than Eric and Alan's. And they're going to be radically different than mine. But there's one thing that's common with all of us. 
Jesus will never ask you to pick up a cross that he wasn't first willing to pick up. And he'll never ask you to give up something that he first hasn't given up already. Now, when Jesus spoke the words in uh, Mark chapter 8, he had yet to go to the cross. Like, he hadn't been to the cross yet. And those people didn't know that he was going to pick up his own cross. But what a man of integrity our Lord is. Jesus, full of integrity, asked his followers to pick up their cross. They didn't even know that he already knew he was going to pick up his and he was going to go someplace with it. See, when you partner with Jesus and you pick up your cross, um, you're going to walk through difficult times. It's true. But with that partner by you, you're going to experience some amazing, amazing joy. I want you to listen to how Peter said it when he says these words in chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Like, listen to these words as if, well, you need to listen to these words the way you really need to, which is this. They're practical for today. So new life, right? Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going to go through as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Like, what in the world? What's this? What's, God, what are you doing? Like, have you, have I done something to offend you? Why am I going through these difficult times? Right? You see what I'm saying? Like, that's the way we think often. Like, God, have you abandoned me? Why am I going through these difficult times? This says, look, don't be surprised, like as if something weird were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you, what's the word? These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. (laughs) Just notice, as you walk through your journey of picking up your cross and denying yourself, you're not walking alone. That Jesus is your partner. He's the one walking with you through the uncomfortable journey. He's already done it. He is the best guide you could ever have. So if you're asking the question, what's the cross that you want me to pick up? What is this that you want me to deny? And you feel like the weight of your cross is too heavy to bear? Then cry out to Jesus this morning. Cry out to your partner and go, look, does this feel like it's too heavy to bear? And Jesus is going to go, I remember that too. I remember when I said to the Father, this cross seems too heavy. It's like, I don't even know if I can bear it. He remembers that as well. But he also remembers embracing it in all of its discomfort. And he can tell you now the joy of doing that was well worth the sacrifice. And if God's asking you to turn from your selfish ways and it just feels like it's too heavy to bear, cry out to Jesus. He can walk you through that. If he's the one who called you to do it, he's got all the resources needed to accomplish it. He knows that if you turn from selfishness, you're going you're to replace that with joy. And guys, right now, if, if your journey with God is just off the charts amazing, then don't forget this morning as we get ready to worship God. Don't forget. Thank him for that. Thank him for that because you well know that you go through different seasons. Here at New Life Church, guys, we, we just believe something. We believe this, that the altars are for the hungry. Some churches are when people come down front and they kneel down at, our, at the altars. You know, some, church, some churches, the people think like, wow, look how screwed up that person is. Like they really have to go kneel down up there. That's not who we are. That's not how we see people. We, we see the altars for hungry people. So whether you come to the front today and you kneel down at an altar and you say, God, I'm picking up my cross or I'm denying myself and I'm following you, or you stand there in your seat, all of us need to come before Christ right now like a sacrifice being laid on an altar. 
Let your life be a sacrifice this morning. Lay it on the altar and say, God, you show me what you want with the cross you want me to pick up and I'll run with it. You, you show me what you want me to deny, God, and, and I'll give it up and I'll follow you. Because we know something at New Life Church to be fundamentally true. When you seek God, you find him. We know that as a fact. The Bible says it, and there's way too many examples of people that have sought God and they've found him. So if you're right now and you're like, I don't know what it means to deny myself, seek God, he'll show you. I don't know what cross it is I'm supposed to bear. Seek God, he'll show you. Because he said, look, if you want to be my follower, you must. It's not an option. I'm sorry that in Christianity we have communicated it all too often as surrender your life to Jesus and everything's going to be better. I don't, know, I don't know why we do that. I've been guilty of it myself. We, we love the hope of it, but guys, let me just say it this way. Surrender your life to Jesus. It's gonna be difficult. Surrender your life to Jesus. It's gonna be difficult, but it's gonna be worth it. Surrender your life to Jesus. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but it's gonna, it's gonna reap amazing joy. Surrender your life to Jesus. And go through the challenges because in the end, the reward of heaven with him is far beyond anything I could preach or describe today. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be uncomfortable. But it's going to reap incredible reward. So embrace the uncomfortable cross today and get closer to Jesus than you ever have before. Can you do that with me? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, as we, um, as we come to you today in prayer, we're reminded of the sacrifice that you gave on the cross. I'm humbled by it one more time. When I think about the historical facts of what the cross really was and how brutal it was, no wonder, Lord, you were in the garden and you were praying, Father, if this can pass from me, if there's a different way to accomplish the mission, then let's do it. No wonder, because it was brutal but let you embrace the uncomfortable cross for our sake. And now you, you call us, and you say that we must embrace ours. We must embrace ours for your sake to advance the kingdom in our day. Lord, everybody in this room has a different cross to bear. They have a different part of life to deny. It's gonna look different for all of us. The sacrifice for one is no greater than the sacrifice for another. And that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for obedience. Lord, bring us to, to the foot of the cross today. May we kneel down at the foot of this brutal cross, this uncomfortable cross. And may we lay our lives down and say, God, no matter what the cost is, the gain of following you is worth it. No matter what the cost is of the uncomfortable, the reward is well worth it. And Father, for this church and its people, May we get close to you in the day we live so that our light can shine bright for you in the world that we live in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.